Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Dave Farah, and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. The transfer window is now shut, and the world's most expensive player bids farewell to North London. It was very hard saying goodbye to, to everybody at Tottenham. I had a great six years there. I had obviously some, some tough times and, and some great times, so uh, I wish them all the best this year, and uh, hopefully they can get into the Champions League. So as Bale leaves, Mesut Ozil arrives at the Emirates. Whoever doubted Wenger? You always want more quality. We are working very hard. We'll be there, don't worry. And Liverpool toast Bill Shankly by beating their arch rivals. These are the big games that we wanted to be winning this year. We drew too many last year and I think you see the togetherness and the spirit in the team. I'm joined by former West Ham and Charlton manager Alan Kerbishley to look back on all the weekend's action. We speak to ex-Liverpool boss Roy Evans about what was an emotional afternoon at Anfield on Sunday and we talk to the West Brom defender Stephen Reid about the new arrivals at the Hawthorns. Plus, European football expert Gabriele Marcotti joins us to discuss all the other last-minute comings and goings in the transfer. So, Alan, the transfer window finally closed on uh, Monday night. It was another frenetic final day of uh, activity. Fellaini being done very, very late. What was the best move of the day for you? Well, I think the Everton signings in the end. We knew that Fellaini was going to go, but they made sure that they got the right prices for the players they were bringing in. I think bringing in McCarthy... Gareth Barry, vastly experienced, and getting Lukaku, I think, three players that want to go to Everton and be at Everton and getting rid of one that didn't want to be there. And as a manager, what does it feel like this morning after transfer deadline? <laughs> well, it's international break as well, so I wouldn't be surprised if most of the managers now are going to take four or five days rest because they've been at it all summer with this window. They've had the first three games and now no one can be bought, no one can be sold and there's no one to train because they're all playing off on international duty. So the, most of the managers will be away now on a break. Well, so the uh, season's only, uh, what, three match days old and all the managers going on uh, holiday already. But that's the way of things, I guess, in the crazy world of football. There were some huge deals, of course, between the English top flight and the continent. And to give us a bit more insight into them, we're joined by the Times newspaper's European football correspondent, Gabriele Marcotti. Hi, Gab, how are you? Very well, thank you. Now, let's get straight into arguably the biggest deal of uh, deadline day, certainly in uh, in this country. Arsenal agreeing a club record fee of £42.4 million for Mesut Ozil from uh, Real Madrid. Uh, do you see him lighting up the Barclays Premier League? Well, I think certainly in terms of ability, if you look back uh, over the past few years and you ask yourself how many players came to the Barclays Premier League really at the top of their careers from the top European side, it's not a long list. Uh, a lot of the, the, the big stars in the Barclays Premier League are people who perhaps came younger and then became big stars here in England. So I think it, it makes it a bit different. Uh, he certainly has a skill set. Some people will point out that maybe Arsenal would have been best served in buying a striker and that certainly the type of bidding they made indicated that that was their priority. But at the end, I think as a manager, you know, you also have to have the courage to, to take those opportunities and find the best player available when he becomes available. And Arsene Wenger has also signed uh, the 27-year-old goalkeeper Emiliano Viviano from Palermo. Hugh Huge Fiorentina fan, of course, was there on loan uh, last year and fairly highly rated as well. Do you see him being the number one eventually there? I'm sure that Wenger will give him a chance to uh, compete for the number one spot. I know Viviano a little bit. He is somebody who just wants a chance to compete. 
bitterly disappointed that Fiorentina didn't keep him around. Um, but um, I know he wouldn't have come if he hadn't at least been given assurances that he would have a chance to uh, displace Szczesny. And what about the uh, the Barclays Premier League's biggest ever export, uh, Gareth Bell? Let's talk about a player who's gone out rather than one who's come in. At the end of the saga, finally, when uh, he uh, was presented at Real Madrid on Monday for a world record 100 million euros. Is he going to be Ronaldo? Is he going to be Kaká? What, what do you think of him at uh, Real? I don't know. I think about Gareth Bale is, uh, and he showed it already. I think he's quite clever. I mean, he came in and you know he said he's, he's deferring to to Cristiano. He he shows a lot of humility. Uh, I, I think that's why the current manager Carlo Ancelotti would acquiesce to to having him on board, even though on paper you know he's not somebody who, who fills an immediate uh, need. It's precisely Bale's work rate uh, and, and professionalism that make the club think that he can be an asset. Could they have spent that money in a different way, perhaps a better way? Um, I certainly think so. Gabriel, May United, they went after Fabregas and went after Herrera. What, what, what do you think's going on there? Why didn't they secure one of them players? And Alan, as you said, of course, before that, they went after Thiago Alcantara uh, as well before he signed for Bayern. Obviously, you know, when people deal in transfers, they deal, you know, with certain agents, certain intermediaries, and it takes experience. And obviously last year, Gil was there as a chief executive, perhaps the most respected executive in, in the English game at the time, and Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, and they're replaced by Moyes and, and Ed Woodward, who perhaps don't have the, the, the same networks, the same level of experience. Personally, I, I felt they were led down a, a garden path with regard to Cesc Fabregas, and they moved way too late for Ander Herrera, you know, simply because uh, somebody has a release clause doesn't mean you can just come in and, and grab him and him willingly going, especially if he feels loyalty towards the club that he's at. I think they very much misread that. And on Fellaini as well, of course, he had a release clause of, what, £23.5 million. They could have had him earlier in the summer. Moy certainly knows all about him. And instead, they ended up, as a result of some of these mistakes, paying £4 million more than they would have otherwise. Remember, as you know, he's somebody who's taking over at a new club. He's got huge decisions to make. He's on his major preseason tours. It has to be a team effort. He has to rely on other people at the club, like the chief executive, like people at that level, to make this happen. What we've sought here is collect failure to move as well as you'd expect United to move. Remember, in years past, Sir Alex generally always got his transfer business done early, which is generally the right thing to do if you can. The the role that perhaps Alex Ferguson's going to play when he comes back is is probably there, you know, in in yeah. terms of transfer dealings and, and opening doors and, and making the meets. No question about that. And remember, too, you know, it's not as if Sir Alex decided to, oh, well, I'm going to hand over the keys and go on a long golfing holiday. He, of course, he had surgery as well and, you know, was probably also a bit wary of casting a shadow over Moyes. I'm I'm not sure, but it's pretty obvious that they need to revise what they do internally, how they do it, and see if, if that's the best possible way. Yeah, the key to a, a sporting director with loads of contacts, you, you could see that with the massive business Newcastle did uh, yesterday in the uh, on transfer deadline day. Now, Liverpool brought in uh, Victor Moses plus uh, Thiago Ilori and Mamadou Sacco for a combined £25 million. Gav Suarez stays put as well. That's good business, isn't it, from Brendan Rodgers? Well, it's, um, I think Sacco is a good bit of business, especially because, as I understand it, he specifically asked to go because he wanted regular playing time. He wasn't happy. You know, he said, I'm 23 years old. I want to play every week. I want to be the best player I can be. I'm not happy just being here at Paris Saint-Germain, you know, collecting uh, millions and, and lots of uh, winner's medals because I'm on a very rich side. And then I think that shows a great attitude from the guy. And 
Moses could be his business. Suarez, if Rogers has a, has a plan to use him and Sturge together, and if that plan works. Otherwise, he may well go back and say, well, you know, maybe I would have rather taken the money for him. I think time will tell. And just finally, Gab, I know that you uh, you love transfer deadline day. I remember talking to you a couple of years ago and you enjoy all the, the comings and goings and all of that sort of stuff. Who's your tip um, to be the, the biggest star, the best signing, if you like, from, uh, from deadline day yesterday? A guy I really, really like, and I'm so glad he's back in the Barclays Premier League, is James McCarthy, who, of course, joined Everton. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think Everton got him at a right price. And, you know, the prospect of McCarthy and Ross Barkley together with a wise head like Gareth Barry behind, I think that's pretty delicious. I think Everton are really a team to watch. Thanks very much indeed for your time, uh, Gabrielli. Nice to talk to you again. My pleasure. Well, that was uh, Gabriele Marcotti. Just a few other things to uh, to wrap up, Alan. Uh, I mean, he, the point he makes about Everton is is correct, isn't it? Lukaku on a season-long loan. Barry kept hold of Baines. McCarthy, as he says. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done particularly well. Yeah, and I think that there was also planning before Fellaini went to the players they wanted. Gareth Barry is an excellent signing. McCarthy, we all enjoyed watching him last year in a struggling Wigan side, so let's see what he can do. But Lukaku was the one. And they snatched him in the last minute from under the noses of West Brom and, and, and they got him. And uh, it was a great bit of business. And, and they've still got some money in the bank. And talking of West Bromwich Albion, Victor Anichebe, uh joins from Everton. Uh, Stefan Sessignon joins from Sunderland for a club record fee as well. Uh, the feeling was that Sessignon wasn't the kind of character who would necessarily flourish under the Canio, but may do very well under Steve Clark. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was a bit surprised by that because I think Sessegnon's one of Sunderland's better players. They're struggling at the moment for goals and scoring goals and he's the one player that could have done it, but he's had his ups and downs with Di Canio through the pre-season and uh, you know, they felt it was time to move on. I think he'd be a success at West Brom. I think uh, it's a good signing for West Brom. I'm not too sure what's going on at Sunderland if, if it was a good deal for them. Well, more to come on that from uh, Stephen Reid later in the show. And just a question about uh, Palace. In the end, 16 signings this window. Now, we saw Queen's Park Rangers pay the price for signing too many players last season. Have Palace done something similar or did they need to strengthen like this? No, I'm, I'm quite impressed with what they've done because as a newly promoted team, the manager sometimes becomes too loyal to the team that took him up. And I think that win against Sunderland at weekend, I think Ian Holloway came out and said, look, we're bringing players in the rest of the squad's got to understand it it's competition and it's all about the club we've got to stay up or do our best to stay up and I like what he's done because he's brought players in that uh, if they do get relegated they can handle the contracts and he's brought some experience in that if they do stay up then they could stay there for another season so I like the way they've gone about it it's a totally different story to QPR QPR brought in these multi-million pound deals and they couldn't handle it when they went down uh, this is different for Crystal Palace it's been a clever bit of business we'll have to see if it works but I think I think Ian Holloway has decided that uh, he needed to strengthen and he's been loyal to the people that took him up and he's put some competition in there. I like Paul Lambert's style as well, having insinuated, what, two or three days ago, there was, it was done, nothing else to be done, and then Libor Kojak comes in, tall, six foot three, strong, centre forward from uh, Lazio. I saw someone describe him on Twitter as Ian Ormondroid Light the other day, and he ha- he's got that about him, and that's the yeah. kind of player they need, isn't it? Well, he's, he's something different, but I think we're letting Darren Bent go to Fulham on a year's loan. Uh, he's got these three strikers, Vyman, Bong Lahore and Benteke, but if he loses one of them, He's got a problem, so he's strengthened in the front areas, and I think he can move Vyman into a different position, and that'd be quite interesting because I think if Vyman goes in behind Benteke as the other striker or behind uh, the forward, they get a player from midfield who can score goals. But all in all, to sum up, Everton, the team that's done the best business? I think Everton have done well. We forgot about Tottenham because they've done it all so long ago, but uh, I think overall I like the look of what Liverpool's done. 
I think we can call it Brendan Rodgers' team now. Been in charge 12 months and uh, I think he's turned it around so now it's his team and they're top of the league. So I think there's been some real winners in this transfer window and I think uh, Liverpool and possibly Everton have been two of them. And Manchester City and Spurs, as you say, doing their business uh, much, much earlier. Well, we'll be talking more about uh, transfer deadline day and what's gone through and what hasn't throughout the show. But let's start our weekend review at a buoyant Anfield where Liverpool paid tribute to the late great Bill Shankly in style, continuing their flawless start to the season with a hard-fought 1-0 victory over rivals Manchester United. So, Alan, three games... Three 1-0 wins, three Daniel Sturridge winners. Keep that going for the season, they'll be champions. I'd be delighted. I, I just think that uh, when you look at the summer, I think Liverpool probably will look back at that and think that they've come out on top in terms of the business they've done and obviously keeping Suarez. But there's real competition there. And as I said earlier, I think we can start calling it Brendan Rodgers' team because they've had so much turmoil there in the last three or four years. You know, Roy Hodgson, Kenny Dalglish and now Brendan and lots of players coming and going. But I think this is his squad. In what was an emotional week for the club, Brendan Rodgers and his players did their city proud on the pitch. These are the big games that we wanted to be winning this year. We drew too many last year and I think you see the togetherness and the spirit in the team. I think the initial challenge this year is to try and get into the top four and be in the conversation for that as long as we can. Uh, And I don't think we can look anything beyond that for a long time yet. And just to emphasise, this is Liverpool's best start to a season for almost 20 years. And to discuss Sunday's occasion at Anfield in more depth, and it really was an occasion, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by the former Reds manager, Roy Evans. Thanks for joining us, Roy. Yeah, morning, how you doing? Yeah, really good, thank you. Uh, and, and before we talk about the game itself, I'm really interested to get your perspective on that, but a word on the atmosphere, Roy, at Anfield on Sunday. It was a 100th birthday tribute, of course, to Bill Shankly. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, what a great man he was. And without him, I don't think Liverpool would be where they are today and, and would have won all these things in the past. He started the whole thing and um, we had a big dinner last night with all the 1965 boys. That's a big tribute to him and obviously Bill's family was there and everything. He was a fantastic man, charismatic, Chairman Mao, if you like. The one thing he didn't know about, he, he knew what the fans were all about. He'd tell the players, that you're playing for the fans. He would go outside and give them a couple of tickets if he had a few spare and things. There will never be another Bill Shankly. A lot of people have tried to emulate him over the years. There'll never be a real Bill Shankly again, that's for sure. I mean, we hear so many stories about him, Roy, of course, as you, as you well know. Is he someone who's inspired you throughout your career? Of course. I went there as a young, young lad and sort of stripped next to him in the dressing room and obviously gave me my three or four games in the first team, to be fair. I mean, you talk with all these guys yesterday, like the, the 65 lads, Ian St. John and Ron Yates. In Callaghan, Roger Hunt. I mean, he was a magic and an inspiration for everybody. And I don't think just think Liverpool supporters. I think football supporters in general, because he could say things which were outrageous. But he just loved the game of football. He loved it to be played in the right way and would have been 100 years yesterday. You have got to celebrate people like him because there's not many of them about. There was a programme on last night on, on one of the TV stations which I taped and it was half hour of his quotes, basically. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to watch it today because they're still true today. Everything he was saying then is still true today. Yeah, you're right. I mean, only, only half hour of his quotes and you've got another 24 hours to go on. He's one of those guys who, who could say things so charismatic about it. And you make you feel 10 foot tall, he can make you feel 2 inches tall. He had that ability. The main thing was that he just loved football. And I say he started this club off. Bob Paisley followed on and Joe Fagan and people like that. But at the end of the day, this man started 
what was a, a fantastic goal for Liverpool. And uh, the fans will, will never forget Bill Shankly, that's for sure. Yeah, there was an interesting, uh, terrific quote at the weekend coming from the editor of the Times newspaper in the UK, which said, Shankly gave us an ethos, a belief that we're part of something bigger than mere football. Um, that was his real particular skill, wasn't it? Do you think the game would allow for someone like him these days, Roy? I mean, you've been involved in management, of course, much more recently. And Brian Clough's the person who's always put alongside Bill Shankly, isn't he? Would there be a space for someone like that these days, do you think? There's always a space for somebody with the ability and with the, with the, the type of thoughts of, of Bill Shankly. I mean, Jose Mourinho thinks he's very special. Uh, but I always look for difference in managers. I and mean, these days, a lot of the managers go and they all do the same courses. None of them have the real own personalities. And Bill's time, he said, we're not going to go do any badges. We don't believe in what the FA says and this, that and the other. But at the end of the day, he stuck to what he thought. And, and everything he thought about the, the game was simplicity. Pass the ball to the nearest red shirt. He didn't mean that. He said, pass the ball to the nearest red shirt if there's nothing else on. And you believed everything he said. I and mean, he said some outrageous things, but you actually believed it because that's the type of guy he was. And just back to the match now, Roy, uh, it's fitting, isn't it, that Liverpool on that day of all days would move to the top of the table with a win, which was a position that Bill Shankly was, um, was fairly used to being in. Uh, yeah, I think he would have been delighted that obviously his family was there and everything and they came on the pitch and for Liverpool to get a result against Man United was fantastic at the end of the day. To be fair, I mean, Liverpool have got three results, three one nils, and they've played some good football parts of the game, but they haven't really completed the whole game. It's been like sort of 45 minutes of good and sometimes 45 minutes of sitting back and letting the other teams come at them. And I don't think they've played their best stuff yet. Like the Coutinho hasn't been fantastic yet. We saw a lot, lot more of them last year. So you get nine points and you haven't played at your best. I think that's great for Liverpool fans to think about. I mean, we don't want to get tired away. We don't want to start thinking that you know, we're going to win this and we're going to win that. Just uh, nice to get up there and to be top of the league after three games where the previous season we had a disastrous start. And obviously then you struggle to play catch-up. Yeah, another Liverpool great, of course. Alan Hansen always said that when you can win 1-0 when you're playing badly, that's a sign of a title-winning team. And the thing is that Liverpool fans will be getting excited, Roy, and I can hear in your voice that you are as well. Uh, but lovely to talk to you, and thanks so much for your memories and your time as well. Thanks, guys. Uh, Roy Evans, wasn't that uh, terrific to hear that? I, when you hear him talk about Shankly Allen, you just know you could sit and listen to him for hours talking about him, don't you? And it's the same with all them Liverpool players. When they start talking about him, they've got so many stories. And I do think that perhaps the greatest manager we've seen since then, Alex Ferguson, I think he probably looked at that and copied him somewhat. And Bill Shankly run Liverpool. He was the man in charge. He'd done everything. And Ferguson run Man United. He was the man in charge. And when you hear the goings-ons of the transfer window, you, you realise that perhaps the managers are not in charge of it all anymore. Well, yeah, absolutely. And the man who now is in charge, of course, after Sir Alex Ferguson is David Moyes. Uh, the defeat uh, at Liverpool extended his poor record at Anfield. I think it's 13 attempts now to try and win there, and he still hasn't. Uh, but the former Everton manager was pleased with his team's performance. We gave away a, a bad goal, with the exception of that. I thought we played well, probably the best we played this season. Liverpool had very few opportunities. They had two free kicks from outside the box. I think Steven Gerrard had one shot. And then they had one from an injury time when Sterling raced away. So apart from that, Liverpool had no real play at all. So we gave the ball away, they had a half chance from it, which led to the corner and the score from it. First time since 2007 that Man United have failed to score in consecutive league games. And Robin van Persie had a strange old day, didn't he? Struggled to get into space, missed a couple of decent chances. I mean, nothing glaring, but probably should have done better. Yeah, and, you know, I think that is the problem that Man United have got, is, uh, you know, no Rooney at the weekend. Uh, so with van Persie tied up and, and not playing as well and not getting his goals, who else is going to score goals for Man United? I think that's why they've been looking for this creative goal-scoring midfield player. The last Man United player to, to get into double figures was Paul Scholes. 
goals in 2002. You know, so no one else has been chipping in. And I think that is a worry for, for Man U, that if Van Persie doesn't score and Rooney, there's no one else out there at the moment. And all the other top clubs have got a midfield player that gets double figures. I think the creative, uh, powerful midfield player they want is just signed for Real Madrid, hasn't he, potentially? <laughs> but they do have Marouane Fellaini. We've already talked about him. Is he, is he the answer to that particular well, problem? Well, he does score goals if he's played in that way. And uh, I think that's what David's bought him for, to play in midfield and go and support the front players and also try and create one or two things but he's shown at Everton that he can get into double figures most seasons. Well from one fierce rivalry to another now in the North London derby where again the home team triumphed Arsenal edged out Spurs 1-0 in a tightly contested encounter a game that normally provides an absolute flood of goals finish 1-0 Olivier Giroud's really good finish in that first half were you surprised by how cagey it was or is it a sort of sign of how the teams have changed a little particularly Spurs? Yeah I think it is a sign because I think that you can't get away from the fact that Bale was such an important part I think the goals he made and the goals he scored he was game changer without him and Lennon at the weekend as well and Defoe's on the bench them three last season terrorised defences away from home they was really quick on the counter attack and I think out of all the dealings they've done they've lost that a little bit now Spurs they look a bit one paced at the moment it's difficult to replace Gareth Bale but uh, I do think that you know it's a work in progress I, th- I-, I fancied Arsenal to win that I think that they were more of a team in some respects and I think Spurs is a work in progress. Well, let's hear now from two of Arsenal's key men on Sunday, the inform Aaron Ramsey, but first the goal scorer, Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I used to, to do that um, that one uh, at the training, uh, so Theo uh, knows me very well, and uh, that's why I feel uh, really, really good in the gym this year. I know my uh, teammates and they know me. I thought we uh, had a tremendous game today. We worked ever so hard. You know, the big man up front started us off for us, and, uh, you know, obviously we, we grabbed the goal in the first half and defended ever so well. I thought we, we deserved the win in the end. A word on those two, Alan. Giroud, three goals in three games, like uh, Daniel Sturridge and Ramsey started superbly too. Yeah, I think uh, Ramsey especially must have looked at the pre-season and felt that last year passed him by a little bit and he's got to make his mark this season because there was all talk about new players coming into the Emirates. And I think Giroud hit the nail on the head there. He's been there a year. The players have got to know him a little bit more and I like Giroud. I, I think his movement in the box is exceptional. Just lacks that yard of pace and, um, you know, I thought that uh, they could have done a bit of business in that forward area. Perhaps they were trying and uh, didn't get across the line. After the defeat by Villa, it was all crisis, wasn't it? But once again, Wenger has produced a series of results that have uh, really helped him out in terms of the way that the perception, if you like. Well, took a lot of pressure off him as well because after that first game against Villa, he had 60,000 fans telling him he didn't know what he was doing. If you can imagine Spurs going there last weekend and winning after spending all the money they've spent, can you imagine the reaction? So he's got the results right and, um, you know, he's gone and done a bit of business, so perhaps the pressure's off him for now. And just here's a stat for all Arsenal fans who might be a bit disgruntled. Since January, Arsenal have picked up more points than any other Barclays Premier League team. Mm. If the table went from January, they'd be top of it. Just a word about Ertzil again. Big money, by miles, the biggest money they've ever spent, breaking, I think it was Reyes was the previous record, just over 17 million. They paid over 42 for Ertzil. Where, where do you see him fitting in? I mean, he's a he's a traditional number 10, really, Ertzil, isn't well, he? Well, I think what's happening in the Barclays Premier League is that the top teams now are playing with his five-man midfield and he's very fluent. Uh, he's seen it at Chelsea where they interact and people move around and Cozola, Wiltshire, Walker, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Ozil are fitting there perfectly. I think when he picks the ball up, 
the Arsenal fans will expect something to happen. Just that deep line forward who can see the opening and see the pass. So that's what I'm expecting from him, that he's going to create things and score some goals. Well, let's hear the Spurs manager, Andre Villas-Boas, assessment of the match now. It was a, always a competitive game with chances to both teams, but I think the, the game really changed in the second half. I think for Arsenal to finish with uh, four full-backs means something to us, to our domination. Our kept on trying to get the equaliser. Drawing wasn't uh, was never going to be enough. We wanted to win here, but I think they had that uh, clinical ability in front of goal. Spurs looked a little sluggish almost, didn't they, in the game? Um, is it the sense of new signings just not quite gelling yet? How does it work? I think that's part of it. The fact, as I said earlier, they seem to have lost that real pace. Lennon on one side, Bow on the other and Defoe up front. It's now changed. Lennon's out injured, Defoe can't get in the side and Bow's gone. And they've brought in different players. I think Chadley on the left needs to come inside. Don't really go past his fullback. Soldado has to come off. He doesn't really want to go in behind people. But, you know, they've got lots of games coming up, Europa League, League Cup, whatever. So there is a chance now to integrate them fully into the, the squad. And we'll have to see Villas Boas's man management skills because I think he struggled with that at Chelsea. And he's going to have to do that at Spurs because he's got so many players to deal with now. Yeah, well, we shall see. Final word, I think, on that goes to you know who. Gareth Bale tweeted, thanks to both Southampton FC and Spurs official for helping me to reach this point in my career. Two very special clubs. Uh, he just joined another very special club as well. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking to West. Brom defender Stephen Reid and hearing from Alan Pardew and Chris Hughes. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer. St James's Park breathed a huge sigh of relief on Saturday as a late wonder strike from midfielder Hatton Ben Arfa secured Newcastle's first win of the season against Fulham, also their first goal of the season, Alan, which has been a long time coming. Yeah, you know, it seems to be normal that there's always pressure up at St James's Park for one reason or another. They seem to take one step forward and two steps back some of the things they do and uh, it was a relief for everybody that they got the result they deserved it as well they were the better side and could have scored a few more well let's hear now from the Newcastle manager Alan Pardew on the match winner Ben Arthur he's such a maverick he's difficult to manage in terms of getting the structure in your team he kind of goes to him and you're not actually sure what he's going to do but one thing I do know is he's got exceptional talent he opened up the game a couple of times and then he's hit the winner with an absolute pearl of a hit yeah, Newcastle created a lot of chances, 24 attempts in the end. But you've already touched on it, but no transfer business this summer. Frustrating probably for Newcastle fans who were almost prepared to forgive a poor last season, weren't they? But they don't want another one like that. No. If they don't get the results, then that pressure will be back on. You know, they didn't do the business that a lot of fans wanted, but I think Remy coming in, if he stays fit, could be a good signing. In all fairness, when I look at the squad, I don't think they're going to be in any trouble. I think that uh, last year they got it wrong for all sorts of reasons, but I don't think they're going to be in any relegation trouble. I think that uh, perhaps the Newcastle fans want to see them back up in that top five where they were a couple of years ago. So the expectation is there, but uh, the squad they've got, they should be OK. Yeah, and in fairness, there was transfer business done in January, wasn't there, fairly significantly too, so maybe they feel that they've uh, they've got enough. Uh, Stephen Taylor tweeted, great win today. Nice to see Remy out there in a black and white shirt. Going to be a top player for us. And Hatton Ben Arfa, what a strike, he says. Um, as for Fulham, they created very little. It was a poor day at the office for them and indeed for Berbatov. It seems the same old story that if they don't get their points at Craven Cottage, where are they going to get them? Uh, away from home, their form has not been that good. And Berbatov just looked disinterested. I think that, uh, you know, Darren Bent's gone in there, so he went up top at the weekend and you'd have thought it would have suited Berbatov to drift around and become this number 10 we're all talking about. You know, pick the ball up and try and work things, And uh, but he gave the ball away continuously and his work rate was down to zero again. So, you know, perhaps he's not happy, but certainly Fulham need him firing because, uh, you know, he's one of them inspirational players for him. 
Yeah, keep calm and give me the ball and then I won't do anything with it. Another team relieved to get their first win on the board at the weekend were Norwich City, who overcame Southampton 1-0, courtesy of a superb second-half strike from one of their summer signings, Nathan Redmond. Here's manager Chris Hewton's thoughts on the 19-year-old who started off life at Carrow Road in style. We know with young players it can be up and down, but he's a very level-headed young man. Uh, we've caught him at a good time. His form at the end of last season was very good and he's been good right through the pre-season period. Um, what he's got to make sure to continue to do to his game is he has a wonderful offensive options but he's working also very hard for the team that's equally as important that looks like good business 3.2 million from Birmingham he's looked like a player for a season and a half already hasn't he and he looked like a player on Saturday and he's another one of those players that can play either side of you know either wing and when he's on the left hand side like the weekend he can cut inside and get his shot off which is what he did for his goal and he's an unknown quantity at the moment so he might as well enjoy it because let me tell you that the defenders will be looking at him and trying to work him out a little bit more but a great performance at the weekend and as for Southampton the defeat ended their unbeaten start to the season but Pablo Osvaldo making his full day you what, what what do you make of him? I mean, he's a he's a maverick, isn't he? Goal scoring maverick. Well, obviously, Pochettino wanted to bring some more players in. I was a bit surprised that Rodriguez was the one that you know was left out for him. But he wants competition up there, and uh, you know he, he can't just rely on one or two forwards. You need three or four. Um, we'll have to see how he fits in. He looks a player that um, can fashion things and, and take chances, but he also looks a little bit of a loose cannon sometimes. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how he fits in. Yeah, looking forward to uh, Southampton against Spurs whenever that happens. Lamella and Osvaldo had a, a dressing room bust-up yeah. uh, last season, so we'll see if they play against each other. Coming up, we'll be hearing from Paolo Di Canio, Michael Laudrup and Mark Hughes, but it's time now for our halftime tweets. Well, Liverpool's Daniel Sturridge celebrated his third winner of the season with a tweet. What a day. Happy birthday to me. Thank God for the goal and win. And Liverpool fan Umar tweeted back, Sturridge is the most humble footballer by far. He knows it's the fans that make clubs. Later that day, we spotted this from Arsenal midfielder Aaron Ramsey. Great result against Spurs and definitely the best atmosphere I've experienced at the Emirates. And he finished it by saying, Gooners. And Arsenal fan Clinton Lau tweeted, Now that's what a derby should be like on the edge of your seat for 95 minutes. Norwich City's Nathan Redmond, who we've spoken about, said after his winner against Southampton, Thanks for the messages from the game yesterday. Happy with the three points and my first BPL goal. Bless. And Dwight Gale, who was playing non-league football just over a year ago, scored his first top-flight goal for Palace on Sunday. And he said, one of the best feelings of my life. What a great win. The fans were unreal. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter with the hashtag YouArFootball. I'm here with uh, Alan Kirbishley, a man who I doubt knows what a hashtag is. Uh, as we continue our look back at all the weekend's top flight action, uh, next we head to Sellers Park, where, as I said, Dwight Gale helped Crystal Palace register their first points of the season in a 3-1 victory over Sunderland. And here's his manager, Ian Holloway. I think he's a fantastic player. His movement's great, and uh, I'm glad he's off the mark. He thoroughly deserves it. The lads have come back fighting and buzzing, and, you know, I thought if, if you look at Shamak's effort, he wants to wants work for us, and he's not even fit yet, so... Obviously, I'm absolutely delighted for the boys. We thoroughly deserved it. Well, great first win of the season. You can't help but be, you're smiling, you see. You can't help but be happy for him, can you? No, and I think his enthusiasm comes through. What was stunning was the crowd, the atmosphere at Sellers Park. And uh, from the first minute, the crowd were up and down, jumping. And whenever the camera went on them, that was making an outrageous amount of noise and really did galvanise the team, I think. It's definitely a day to forget, though, for Sunderland. I mean, what a contrast between the two. We'll hear in a second. But what a day to forget for them and their manager, Paolo Di Canio, who was not happy with his players afterwards. This game was crucial for us, for everybody. 
If we don't start thinking that every ball, every challenge can be crucial for the destiny, you know, of our match, that can be a problem because it's not possible after our goal we were in top. How we did this is, is absolutely poor. It's early, isn't it, to be talking like that about your players in public? You know, I had Paolo for a year at Charlton and uh, I know how intense he is, but, you know, when you listen to him now, you know, everything seems to be a crisis or a drama when they get beat and, and when they win, he's sliding along the touchline in celebration and I think he's got to learn that you don't have the lows too low and the highs too high and I think he's putting a bit of pressure on that team he's made so many changes too many in my eyes to the squad you know Spurs have brought lots of players in but I think the substance is there they can handle that I think that Sunderland who just staved off relegation last year have had so many changes and it's a work in progress it's a big game the next one that they come up I think they've got Arsenal at home and that's going to be an enormous game he's added Barini and Desena two more Italian players uh, into the squad Perhaps bringing two players in that he can converse with quite easily and to try and get the message across. But we were surprised when Mignolet went, but even more surprised that Sessegnon's gone. Yeah, well, uh, difficult times ahead maybe for uh, Sunderland. Two other teams without a win this season came head-to-head at the Hawthorns on Sunday. It was Swansea who left with the spoils, beating a pretty hapless West Brom side 2-0. Uh, we can hear from a very satisfied Swansea manager, Michael Ladra. First three points after two very difficult games against Manchester United and Tottenham. Very good performance, away win, clean sheet. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, a complete day. And we dominated against the team that I call from our league, West Brom and us. We, we are there in the same boat. But uh, even if I think we did quite well, uh, they are very, very strong side. Well, a deserved win for Michael Laudrup's team, uh, Ben Davis, Pablo Hernandez uh, with the goals. And that felt like them getting back on track, didn't it? Because it was a shaky start to the season. A difficult start as well. You know, home to Man United and away to Spurs. And uh, we was wondering after last year, you know, were they going to struggle? But uh, I think he's got a decent squad there, Michael Laudrup. They thoroughly deserved the, the result. And as he said, it was against a team that perhaps is in the same league as him at the moment. And uh, it was a big three points. And a deadline day signing for them, the Spanish under-21 striker Alvaro Vázquez from uh, Hitafe. As for West Brom, they sit at the bottom of the table with just a single point from their first three matches. But there's real reason for optimism after the Baggies managed to do some great business in the final few hours of the transfer window. To discuss deadline day and their start to the season, the West Brom fullback Stephen Reid joins us. Uh, let's start with transfer deadline day, Stephen, and the two strikers who've been brought to the Hawthorne. Stefan Sessignon from Sunderland for a club record three of over six and a half million pounds and Victor Anichebe from Everton for a fee rising to six million and with uh, no goals in your first three games presumably the kind of players that you need yeah I think you know looking at the first few games and you know some of some of the back end of last season it's a it's an area where we've been struggling a little bit to get goals and to create chances especially the start of this season so it's obviously an area where the gaffers seem fit to, to strengthen we've kept Shane as well so it looks like we've done some good business and hopefully going forward now we can start creating a bit more and, and start getting on the the score sheet sooner rather than later. And you managed to keep Shane Long, Stephen, and, and although Chelsea striker Romelu Lukaku looked like he was coming back to you, didn't he, after his loan spell last season, he ended up at Everton. Is he one that just sort of got away? Yeah, maybe. I think 17 league goals last season, so it's always going to be difficult to try and replace that. And we, we've kept Shane, so, yeah, like I say, I think Long, he'll be a great asset going forward between now and the rest of the season. So, yeah, I think we've splashed a bit of money, which has not been like us in recent years. So, looks like we've done some good business and, and hopefully we can uh, get on the score sheet and start winning some games. And, of course, we want an insight from you as well. Um, what's it like being a player in these transfer windows? It, it must be nerve-wracking knowing that, you know, you wake up in the morning and then at the end of the day, you could end up absolutely anywhere. Yeah, that's right. My... I think my days of worrying about that have uh, long gone. But 
for the players involved, obviously it can be a, an unsettling time. If you're getting a transfer, you're not sure where that might be. You've got to settle quickly. The family have got to settle quickly and you've got to get on and, and play football. Sometimes it's strange that it all happens in the last day when you've got two or three months to get these things sorted and it ends up being a mad scramble with a couple of hours to go to see whether the deals get done. So especially the, the big names and the, the big money, like we've seen yesterday, Gareth Bale, there's going to be an immense amount of pressure on him now to produce after that massive transfer fee. But I'm sure a player of his quality is going to be fine in settling in and I'm sure he's going to do the business for Madrid. And let's speak briefly, and I'll, I'll keep it brief, don't worry about that, 2-0 defeat to Swansea at the weekend. It, it must have been a match that you felt you could have won. Yeah, I think so. I think at home you you feel that you can win win any game against any of the, the teams in the Premier League. It's not happened. It's been a disappointing start and disappointing not to get on the score sheet at the moment as well. So hopefully we can kick on between now and, and the next few games. Now, another story that's been um, sort of bubbling around at West Brom, Nicholas Anelka uh, came back into the team, didn't he, after compassionate leave uh, and looked uh, really lively. What's he like to have around the training ground? He's got an aura about him. You can see the... The younger lads, especially when he walks through the building and in the gym, they're, they're in awe of, of his presence, really. So it's great to, to have that type of player in and around the place after the last couple of weeks that just get focused. And, and now, for especially, there's going to be a bit of pressure on him this season to produce for us. And seeing the clubs he's played for in the past, we hope that he can get on the score sheet and start creating chances as well. And on a personal note, Stephen, you must have been pleased to have signed a one-year deal at West Brom at the end of last season. Uh, are you over your injury problems now? Yeah, at the minute, just getting back from a slight calf strain. I'm, I'm hoping to be fit for Fulham a week on Saturday. So, yeah, obviously delighted to get that sorted over the summer. Dragged on for a, a little while and, and at times it, I wasn't sure where, where my future was lying. But delighted to get it done. Delighted to have another year in the Premier League and hopefully can contribute this season to hopefully what will be another good season for us. Well, thanks for your time, Stephen, and uh, all the best for the rest of the season. No problem at all. Yeah, nice to uh, hear from uh, Stephen there. Thanks to him for his time. Um, another surprise away win at Upton Park, where Stoke continued their good form under new manager Mark Hughes to make it two wins out of two, courtesy of forgotten man Jermaine Pennant. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great strike and a good way to win the game, in fairness. Uh, I thought we were excellent today in terms of the control of the game, uh, not allowing West Ham any real clear-cut chances in the whole 90 minutes, and I just thought we were able to get the ball down and pass and move, and great problems probably we lacked that cutting edge in terms of the, the final ball but, the, but that will come in terms of general play I thought uh, it was my own perfect and away performance from us my favourite tweet of the weekend's coming up in a second so stay tuned for that but a great win for Mark Hughes and a couple of good substitutions and hands up if you realised Jermaine Pennant was still there it's an interesting story wasn't it because I think he was released by Tony Pulis or at the end of the season and uh, when Mark Hughes took over the job he brought him back and uh, he got him three points at the weekend and have you noticed a marked difference in their style under Mark Hughes the fans are making quite a big deal of it aren't they it's quite fun actually at Stoke they're uh, playing like Brazil now aren't they absolutely and they're singing that out as well I feel a bit sorry for Tony Pulis because Obviously, he had a brand of football and it was successful. It got stoked where they are today. And it seems now that, uh, you know, they're passing it about a little bit more. He's getting criticised for, for what he's achieved there. Well, if he hadn't done what he'd done, they might not be there. But, you know, Mark Hughes has gone in there and he's trying to change their style. And it was noticeable at Upton Park. They did pass the ball. They knocked it around really well. And 
it was a really flat performance from West Ham. It had started off very well. Great win against Cardiff and the draw up at Newcastle. And uh, I think the West Ham fans probably went into the game on Saturday thinking they was going to win that and it was going to be a comfortable game and uh, Stoke had other ideas. Well, for those of you who think that Stoke's style has changed significantly and they're starting to pass the ball around, Robert Hoot tweeted at the weekend, smash, boom, bang, wallop, first three points of the season done, hashtag long throw. There you go. I think he might have been being ironic, <laughs> but, uh, but it's good stuff from him. And West Ham, briefly, Andy Carroll will provide them with a bit more, won't he, when he's back? Well, yeah, I think that uh, they spent all their money on Carroll and Downing this season. So uh, I think Sam is expecting that Downing and Jarvis will supply the balls into the box. Carroll will be on the end of it and, and Kevin Nolan will, will pick up any knockdowns and uh, that's where their goals are going to come from. So two wins out of three for Stoke is a record shared by Manchester City who saw off Hull 2-0 at the Etihad in a somewhat uninspiring performance. Uh, Alan, on paper it looked like a comfortable home win but if you watched it, my yeah. goodness, it was anything but. Without Vincent Company at the back, they looked a bit fragile there. It was a really good performance from Hull but never got anything from the game. And I think um, it's welcome to the Bartley's Premier League for Pellegrini because, you know, in Spain... I don't think uh, the two newly promoted sides like Cardiff and Hull put up such a game as they did against Man City. So I think he knows now how competitive the Bartley's Premier League is. Although his old team, Real, newly promoted this year, three wins out of three, so it can happen uh, in Spain. Perhaps not against the top teams, though. It's, it's a fair point. Sorry, I was, I was being picky. But uh, the Spanish striker Alvaro Negredo came off the bench to score City's first goal on Saturday. And here is the manager, Manuel Pellegrini, on his new £16 million signing. He played uh, some minutes, the first game against Newcastle, and he scored a goal. It was a legal goal, but uh, it was not valid. The second uh, game, he also played some minutes, and he scored a goal. And today, he plays 45 minutes, he scored one, one goal more. I know how strike, how good strike is Alvaro. I think that with Alvaro and with uh, Edin, we have a very good two strikers, and we need both of them. Yeah, they, they looked a better side with Negredo in it, yeah. didn't they? He gives them a bit of life and very good finisher as, as we, we knew before he arrived. He's fantastic in the air. He sort of hangs, doesn't he? And, uh, you know, when the ball came across from Zabaleta, there was only going to be one outcome that he was going to be on the end of it. It was a great goal. But, you know, the first game of the season against Newcastle, everyone was raving about Jacko because he looked slimmed down, he looked full of uh, energy and enthusiasm. So... You need them strikers. One of them's got to play with Aguero, and uh, it's that competition you need. Yeah, and they've added Martin De Michelis from Atletico Madrid as well. It's someone that Pellegrini knows particularly well, and they needed cover. Yeah, because I think the way that uh, company went off, he did look sore, and it looks like not a couple of weeks, but it may be months with that injury. And, um, you know, I think that was a little bit short there because the Tajic has been out injured and they let Toure go, so it leaves him with just Julian Lescott. So they needed to do something and they acted very quickly. Well, as for Hull, it was a hugely encouraging performance. They can count themselves very unlucky to leave the Etihad with nothing. Here's their proud manager, Steve Bruce. We're going to be rightly disappointed with the scoreline, but uh, immensely pleased with the way we've played and with the way we've took them on, basically. I mean, we couldn't have asked for anything more. We just were Achilles' heelers even last year in the championship was, can we score enough? Certainly we've got really, really good players and we've added to that and you can see why we've come out of the championship with some of the football we played, but we need to score. There were periods when Hull tore City apart and Shawnee Aluko missed that one-on-one. I mean, it, he seemed certain to score, didn't he? And how different it would have been if he had. Yeah, no matter what team it is, when you're presented with a chance like that at the Etihad, you've got to take it because uh, you know what a difficult game it's going to be. But look at the, the start they've had, away to Chelsea, away to Man City. So it was vital they got them three points against Norwich in their home game. So I think Steve will be sitting back now thinking, you know what, three points for them three games, I'll take that. 
But uh, it's now when 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 it resumes in a couple of weeks' time that they can get their heads down and try and pick up some more points. Yeah, but the newly promoted side's looking pretty good at the moment. It's going to be interesting. Some more established names under threat, maybe. Uh, and talking of uh, newly promoted clubs, we round off our look back at the weekend's fixtures with a team that beat Manchester City last week. New boys Cardiff held Everton to a nil-nil draw in South Wales on Saturday. Everton, one of only three teams still unbeaten, but still no win for Roberto Martinez. Just, we'll talk about them first and then a little bit about Cardiff. Yeah, I think that... Uh, um, new manager's gone in there. David Moyes had been there for so long and they had a style of play and he's tried to implement what he wants, Martinez, and I think they've been quite unlucky that they haven't picked up a free point somewhere. And uh, they'll be OK, Everton, and, and especially with the business they've done. But then going back to Cardiff, you know, fantastic uh, result against Man City and then following that up with a, with another point. You know, they'll be delighted with their start so far. And I like the way they've gone about it. They broke their transfer record three or four times, I think. Perhaps gone a different route to what Crystal Palace have tried and what Hull have tried. And, uh, you know, let's hope it pays dividends. But they do look a very young, athletic side. And they got that back into that fantastic crowd because that, that atmosphere against Man City was brilliant. And uh, if they can generate that sort of thing, the fans, it'll hold them in good stead. Yeah, well, their position in the table may not end up being quite as high as uh, their chairman's trousers, but, uh, but they'll, probably be, uh, they'll probably be OK in the end. And Peter Odenwingy has arrived as well. No Barclays Premier League matches this weekend due to international uh, World Cup qualifiers taking place. It's a key weekend as well. So uh, which Barclays Premier League players are you most looking forward to seeing in action for their countries? And you can't count Gareth Bale for Wales? No. Because he, he is no longer. He's gone. I, I think for, for England's sake, I'm a bit concerned about Daniel Sturridge a little bit because he just seems to have this niggling thigh injury and you know it's holding him back a little bit. But we do need him now that Wayne Moon is out. So I'm looking forward to Daniel Sturridge because I just think he's on fire at the moment. And uh, Ozil, we're all now, now we know he's coming to the Barclays Premier League, we'll all be looking out for his performance for Germany. And uh, just tweet us your thoughts as well, won't you, on uh, what you're looking forward to this weekend, what you're looking forward to throughout the rest of the season and what you made of that transfer window. At Barclays Footy is the place to do all of that. Now, that's just about it for this week. My thanks to Alan for his company. Uh, before we go, though, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Mesut Ozil will become the seventh German player to feature for Arsenal in the Barclays Premier League when he makes his debut in a couple of weeks. Can you name the six German players before him to have appeared for the Gunners. The six German players before him to have appeared for the Gunners. You might find one or two in the current team. If you think you know the answer, log on to the Barclays Football Facebook page and tell us what you think. We'll post the correct answers on the site later in the week. And remember as well, you can tweet us throughout the week at Barclays Footy with your footballing thoughts wherever you are in the world. Tony Cascarino and uh, Paddy Barclay will be with us next week as we look back on what's been an intriguing first three weeks of the season so far. Make sure you join us for that. But until then, from Alan Kirbishley and from me, Dave, Farah. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.